This is the Engineering Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Noda. In this episode, we're joined by Victoria Morgan-Smith, who leads Engineering Enablement at the Financial Times. Teams at the Financial Times have an autonomous you-build-it, you-run-it culture. Victoria shares some of the challenges of scaling this type of culture, along with stories of how her group equips teams with metrics and best practices in order to excel. Could you start by just sharing a little bit about your role and what your team does? Yeah, so I work at the Financial Times, and that's where I've been I've been leading teams delivering internal facing products for quite a long time. So I'm very interested in internal systems and people who use them. Um, and now I'm leading engineering enablement team, which in many ways is the ultimate internal product. I suppose it's internal for, yeah, anyway. Along the way, I also co-wrote a book on internal tech conferences with Matthew Skelton, um, which talks about how events like that can stimulate and fuel a culture of collective learning and change. So those are the things that I'm interested in and which my group and teams are interested in as well. Thanks for sharing that. I'm interested to learn a little bit more when you say engineering enablement and you mm-hmm. mentioned your background is in you know building internal facing products. Maybe share a little bit like what's your team's charter and kind of core responsibilities? So engineering enablement those those teams their mission is to try and make product product developers able to go as fast as they need to in order to do their work so building building software products these days it's it's massively complicated and there is uh, being a full stack engineer there are a lot of things you have to think about some are in your comfort zone some are maybe not if we can make some of those things as easy as possible whether it's providing tools, clarity, support and assistance, and standardizing some of those options, simplifying the estate, that all of that is, is, is the space that we're in to try and help them flourish. Very interesting. I'm curious at the Financial Times, do you guys also have maybe platform or infrastructure, kind of like engineering tools teams as well, in addition to your team? So, so my teams they uh, they look after the infrastructure tooling that developers use. So we look after AWS, Heroku, hosting things on 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 the, the cloud, setting up systems. We look after observability, so all the monitoring and logging, the edge authentication. The operations teams are in my space as well. Um, a lot of the infrastructure tooling that developers and engineers use, those are systems that we provide um, and 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 make it as easy for them to use as possible. There, there makes, are other teams who look after other aspects of the, of the infrastructure that the entire company uses, but developer-oriented infrastructure is our space. That makes sense. So when you think about your team's scope, then, if you maybe imagine sort of a Venn diagram in your head, is it primarily the tools? Is it uh, weighted towards process, culture? How do you, yeah, what, how do you see the scope of your team? Well, um, I said, well, the scope can grow, I think. Uh, We're interested in both. So at the FT, we have very autonomous teams. They're very DevOps oriented. You build it, you run it. That is the culture. And so we look to enable the, the tooling within that culture. So if we want to simplify, standardize, advise, guide, we have to do that within the context of teams who are at liberty to do whatever it is that they think is going to be best for them. So culture is a very big part of, of what we do and how we do it. So some of what we 
a lot of what we do is about surfacing information to teams to equip them so that they can make the right decisions to make it as easy as possible for them to see the things which they need to be addressing or they, they ought to take seriously and the options that they have. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to ask you more about that in a sec, but I'd love to know your just personal story. How did you, what's, you know, what is it about yourself that you think has drawn you into this kind of internal facing enablement role as opposed to maybe a more traditional you know, customer facing role? Um, I guess that my entry point into delivery was scrum mastering. So I used to be a developer. I really enjoyed making things. I enjoyed technology back when it was easier. <laughs> and um, I discovered that I took pride in other people around me doing well and I felt really happy for them and that's what drew me into delivery because it wasn't about big shiny projects it was about their success and so that's why I enjoy internal systems internal tools because all of that is about this enabling people in the organization to be successful and so that's what I enjoy is is helping other people do what they need to do so whether that's my team or the people using the tools that my teams build well, that's really awesome. Sounds like you have a, a great opportunity to to do that now. So, I I'm curious. You know, earlier in a conversation, you had mentioned to me that there are challenges with autonomous teams, right? That you build it and you run it. Culture has advantages, but there are also some things that can weigh these teams down. What mm-hmm. are the biggest problems you've seen with autonomous teams at Financial Times? So, a lot of it is the complexity that can arise. So um, we've, we have stream-aligned teams. Um, we've done what we can to reduce the cognitive load of teams in terms of them needing to understand the entire organization and how they work by having product teams who are aligned to business areas. And they can be, therefore, fully equipped to make the decisions that they need, need in their space. But what it can mean is that they forget to talk to each other because they don't have to. Once you get rid of dependencies and people don't have to talk, they then forget to. And wheels get reinvented many times slightly different shape and the estate becomes really complex and so I've written a piece of code in my ID I want to get that live and I want it to be secure and supportable and all the rest of it how do I do that well there's all these choices you choose it can take a it can take a long time for people to get up and running because because they don't because there's so many options available to them and and because people don't swap notes and there isn't a standardized way so it speeds people up initially but then slows them down Interesting. So it sounds like there's this big focus on autonomy. I'm curious, how long lived are most of these teams? Uh, you know, I've worked at places that reorg every quarter. Uh, I'm curious, how, you know, how 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 long lived are your teams? Quite long lived. Quite long lived. We we have we have groups of teams, and and they may change within those groups. But we have a group of teams who focus on the website and the apps. We have a group of teams who focus on internal products, um, which will be marketing tools and sales tools and 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 um, editorial tooling. And those can be quite long-standing teams who really become very deeply connected with the business area that they work with. So actually, they they become really good at uh, creatively solving the business problems that they're in because they, 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 they become close to them and, and become really passionate about them because they've been there for so long. And, and that works fantastically, actually. It's, 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 it's something we're really proud of. That's, that's awesome. I'm curious to know when you say autonomous and you mentioned these teams when they're getting up and running and they want to ship something, there's a lot of choices. How much freedom do these teams have? I mean, can they choose whatever language they want and infrastructure they want? I'm curious what kind of governs the way they work. 
So we do, um, we, we, you know, we, we are putting in and we have in place uh, a, a kind of a tech governance group where people don't go there for permission to do things, but they go to say, this is what we intend to do. And they have an opportunity to be asked, have you thought about this? Did you know about this other thing? Are you aware that you're about to triple our costs? Have you thought about, and, and they get presented with things that they may not have considered to help them go away and make the right decision if that is a different decision. So we we have some communication mechanisms in place to try and help people do the right thing. And we are starting to, to put in, improve, well, improve really the way we do effectively a tech radar to highlight the things which are we are supporting really well by our group. So Golden Path means opinion. We've got opinions, and the things that we have, we have an opinion on will support really well and make it really easy for you to use it. So we would encourage you to use it, but you can go and do something else if you want. But come back and tell us about it so that we can see whether we might change what we share with people. Do you find that teams are often you know, paving their own path, or do they normally? follow the, the paved path? We're still paving the path, <laughs> if I'm honest. So um, a lot of it is is trying to, to harvest the good practices that are out there. And so communication, harvesting, building that community is a big part of what we're doing is to say that people can share with each other. So usually we find that if Sometimes we find that people will go and make their own decisions, and that's kind of that's fine. They they're entitled to do that, but it does complicate the it does complicate the the estate. And a lot of people are now asking for simplicity. That that's the that's what's going to make us successful. Is there is an actual request, there is a demand by a significant number of people to to please not give us twenty five different brands of baked beans. Just give us something <laughs> that we can choose and and get going with. That makes sense. Yeah, it can be hard. I think the rate of new tools and frameworks and even languages coming out, it's it's hard to keep up as an organization. It's hard to keep up as a developer, not to mention an organization. Earlier, you had mentioned a big part of what you do is equipping teams with information and trying to impact their culture. Can you share more about what that means concretely and what kinds of initiatives and mm-hmm. projects you've tried to drive? Yeah. We're currently working on try- implementing Accelerate Metrics for people. So one of the one of the definitions of success for this group, um, essentially, if you're looking at metrics, would be are we speeding up developers? But there's more to it than that. So it's not just about us measuring ourselves, but by that, but providing metrics so the teams can see themselves. So whether it is a lead time, whether it's other things around the you know the speed to recovery of any systems that go down. So those metrics, a lot of teams are asking for, which is great because they taking seriously this idea of being um, responsible and accountable, not just anarchic. <laughs> so they, they actually want to take their job seriously. So there is an appetite for those. And and so we're, we're looking to implement that for them. And we have a lot of other metrics which are lower level so that if they see an ex- if they see one of those metrics ring a little alarm bell and go, maybe there's something going on here, we're helping them dig down into, you know, that whether they've got, you know, too many repos or not enough repos or too many dependencies or or whatever that that the, the thing is to help them see what it is 
whether they need investment and support and whether we need to look at does the team have what they need or whether it's something about their working practice. That's some of the kind of metrics we're giving them. Other things are like um, cost attribution. So can if we get one big AWS bill, can we attribute those costs to teams so that if teams see they're spending a fortune because they're leaving all of their dev servers running all night, they might do something about it. So how, can we make that sort of information visible to teams? And, and several other things around, you know, whether the systems are as supportable as they could be, whether, you know, and putting uh, the security vulnerabilities, putting KPIs against those so that they can potentially compete a little bit against them, which is quite nice. <laughs> Gamifying it a little bit, it sounds yeah. like. I'm curious, there's a big tooling aspect to these types of initiatives you're describing, but also a big cultural element. So, for example, the metrics initiative in particular, I'm curious you know, metrics can be a controversial and sometimes inflammatory sort of subject at companies. I'm curious how you've approached that in terms of talking about the purpose of those metrics and the rollout teams. Have you hit any bumps or pushback or concern from teams? I'm, I'm curious to hear the journey. We have found that we need to be very careful how we present them. So some of those lower level metrics, if we were to put all the teams side by side and start giving them a score, which indicates this one's good and this one's bad, then that makes teams feel as if someone's waving a big red flag at them and making them look like a problem team. So we have to not apply judgment. So if I put my delivery hat on, I think of this is a bit like a burn down chart in a team. That is something that is useful for the team. They know their story. They know what that burn burn down chart tells them. It's not for someone else to point out and say that's bad. So it's it's data, it's, it's information for the team who have the context to explain it. And so we treat it exactly the same. So these these accelerate metrics, these other metrics about, you know, the to kind of the, the health of a team's estate. It's we don't put scores and 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 health score rag statuses or anything like that on it. It's very much down to these things might be triggers for conversations within a team, potentially some leaders who who might be looking to see how, how what extra support might this team need. So it's all about driving conversation and and not about judgment. So we reinforce that quite a lot. Gotcha. That makes sense. So it sounds like it's for the teams and maybe their immediate leaders to kind of to help with inquiry and sparking conversation. I'm curious, is there any particular sort of ritualized way in which you've seen teams leverage these types of metrics or is it kind of they're, you know, they're, they're there if you have questions or are curious? The intent is for them to be used as part of um, a quarterly OKR planning. So um, we teams, um, yeah. So we have an OKR system. So every quarter, teams will set their goals, and they will relate to departmental goals. But they will also have a lot that they determine themselves, which are about improving. The, the quality of their estate or their sustainability as a team, they will define those. And so the, all this information that we're surfacing to them, which are about the risks of their systems or or things to which they might want to think about if, if there's something in their working practices, that's all information for them to use when they define some things that they want to work, want to work on to try and improve the, in the next quarter. So that's that's this structured thing. Okay. Well, that's that's really interesting and actually really powerful. I'm so first question for you and follow up to that, do these, for example, accelerate metrics, are these OKRs at a more global level? Are they being set as departmental sort of goals or is this a bottoms up thing? It's it's fairly 
fairly bottoms up at the moment. Um, we have a high-level departmental goal to get this accelerate metrics in place so that teams have the information. And then it'll be down to uh, to groups and teams to decide how they want to how they want to use them to drive improvement in their area. And I, I would expect that teams would would highlight areas that they want to improve. But perhaps if groups of teams, for example, the internal products group area or engineering enablement themselves might look at our metrics and go, actually. We have an awful lot of things as a group that are that are failing release and coming back. Maybe as a group we want to tackle that, and 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 then we then team individual teams would see how much of a part they have to play in that. That's really interesting. I you also mentioned something. You said you know all teams as part of their OKRs are focused on also prioritizing things pertaining to you know their sustainability and the way they work. I'm not sure that's always a super common practice. I know I've worked places where the OKRs are all around sort of the, the business metrics and deliver uh, deadlines and features. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, where did that, tell me more about the emphasis on sort of sustainability and team health and where did that originate from? We've paid the price of optimizing too much on speed and not enough on flow in the past. We, we you need flow, you need sustainability. You, you, things need to be uh, at, at a pace where you're not just generating lots of problems that you pay for later and you pay for those things later by having to by things falling over by having to fix them and then having lots of totally demoralized engineers who are spending all the time just fixing problems and not building products so we recognize that for uh for the organization engineers and products to survive and thrive that sustainability is absolutely key and part of that is carving out space in okrs to make it explicit this is part of the commitment in that quarter and not engineers having to ask permission every five minutes, can I just do this? So we bake it in. That makes sense. You Earlier you talked about you know, equipping teams and spreading this culture of learning and improvement. I'm curious, how how do you educate or sort of indoctrinate culture? How, how do you engage with these teams? I suppose the culture um, evolves over a long period of time and it's something that we've been very conscious in what we've been doing over time. So, you know, we started a few years ago looking at, well, in order to get to enable full autonomy, what do people need? And so, you know, you've got the damn pink, they need they need to have mastery and you need to be able to trust, they need to be responsible, they need to be interested in what they're doing. So, um, all, and they need clarity on the goal. So the, the, those things is, all need to be lined up. And then it's building on that and going so what actually motivates people and people are actually motivated by being successful and they're motivated by realizing that they're surrounded by loads of other really smart people and so they can keep learning and so building in opportunities for people to take time to work in working groups on whether it's 10% time is a really big part of what they do it keeps people engaged and it gets people working with people who they don't normally work with and internal tech conferences, which is a, a lovely big event, which encourages um, a lot of collective learning and sharing. That's a, a significant um, factor in in some a step change that we saw in our culture a few years ago, and that we've been continuing to build on since. And in terms of educating people on culture, I guess we just keep talking about it and we keep celebrating it. And so celebrating and and saying what a great culture it is, saying how wonderful it is that these people are sharing this just reminds people that they're doing this and this is great and so they want to do more of it. So the celebration is a, is, is a really big part of it. Well, one of the things you just mentioned were internal conferences and you've, of 
of course, written a book on it, so mm-hmm. we won't make you recite the, the entire book. But I'm curious, what does that look like at Financial Times? So at Financial Times, it's very much about uh, running something that is by the people for the people. So they can be run in any number of different ways at different organizations. But for us, it's it's about giving the floor to our engineers and saying, what matters to you? What questions do you want to, to answer? What do you think is important? What's a hot topic? What's a common problem? What's something that's really cool that you just want to share with people? And so we have a variety of different formats. We'll have lightning talks, some of which are more serious and some of which might be about, I don't know, someone building a, someone built a monitoring system in their shed about the birds that were going past or something. I mean, just it can be a really kooky something um, that was really interesting, or it can be something uh, um, that they're serious they've been doing in their team. But anything that is sharing, anything that can spark conversation. So a few years ago, when we switched to microservices and then realized that alerts were going off all over the place and how on earth do we keep on top of that? Somebody giving a talk on that and then that triggered a working group to go and solve that. So we're trying to stimulate further conversations that ripple on after the event as much as celebrating the event itself where people come together. That's really awesome. I'm curious, how large is your team right now? My the engineering enablement team is about 50 Okay. And then how large, how many engineers are at the company overall? I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) How do you reason about the right size for your org and the right ratio of kind of enablement versus the rest of the organization? So we, um, our starting point is that the, the capabilities that we host and that we own and that we maintain, that needs a certain base level number of engineers just to maintain those systems. And then we add a, add, add a lot onto that so that they've got bandwidth and space so that they can be uh, more innovative and creative and take time to explore options. So it's, it's not so much about the ratio between them and the rest of the organization. It's just what do these teams need in order to be able to achieve their goals and that's how we treat any team size if if they've got goals what size team do they need for that and if we have an awful lot of things that we do look after it's quite a a broad cognitive load if the team is too small um, and we don't want them to feel stifled by that so we we expand the team enough so that they can be excited in their work that makes sense as your organization sort of matures how, how do you see the role of engineering enablement changing over time, you know, right now, it sounds like you, you have the metrics initiative and uh, lots of tools and working on kind of creating alignment, you know, over time, do you see, for example, a shift towards building versus buying? Do you see a shift toward, you know, different, trying to impact teams in different ways? Um, I don't think at the moment I would see us shifting towards building over buying because a lot of what we provide it is commodity at the end of the day and it would cost a lot of money for us to build and then there'd be a bigger dependency on 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 us and our knowledge that everyone would have to come to our team they couldn't build that expertise so we want to be able to provide tools that people can ultimately become as experts in in using and 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 not waste in, internal talent on on building things that are already out there and being iterated on much more quickly by organizations that are out there specializing in them so we're I don't see us going there. I see. I, I see. What I would hope that we would end up is is um, gaining more 
more confidence, actually, all of the engineers in the team. I'd, I would quite like to see the team become a, a whole a whole team full of internal DevRels. So can they be... Um, can they have more time and capacity once we've reached a certain point to be out there engaging with the teams, pairing with teams, spending time seconded and out in them, supporting, enabling them, championing and celebrating their successes. So more focus on the the evangelizing and celebrating and sharing. And at the moment, they're, they're still quite technically hands-on on the systems that they're improving, but the more they can be working in teams embedded in them um, and helping them with specific problems that they've got and, and, and then get helping everyone get excited about it. I'd like to see us become a, a, a team of excited people. That's awesome. That's an interesting idea around the embedded model. I mean, how, how would you envision that working? Would you envision folks from enablement spending like a quarter on a, a product team or how would that rotation work? We're, yeah, no more than a quarter because otherwise we'd become divorced and detached from where we are. So at the moment, we have people from other teams come and second with us for a quarter. And it, th- that's great for them because they come and learn what we do and they come and tell us their problems. And so that helps us understand their, what they what they need. And we all become better as a result. But um, we very soon are going to start seconding people from our teams out into others so that they can go and uh, they can see the problems for themselves and they can see what they can help and um, and but it, they wouldn't be probably more than a quarter because then we'd, we would lose them and we need them to bring back the knowledge right that, that sounds like a good structure I'm curious to loop back a little bit on on the topic of your current sort of metrics initiative you, you mentioned right now you're trying to just set up to just have those metrics mm-hmm. how how are you approaching that well we, we we currently have a really excellent system that gives us a good starting point so we've got a, a thing that we built a few years ago called bizops which is um it's 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 a it's a it's a system built around a a, a GraphQL APIs, I think, and it's it, it used it started out just as information about what are all the systems we've got, who are the technical owners, um, what are the links to the code bases and runbooks and stuff like that. But now we've been iterating on that now, so it's got business owners and context and dependencies, and it's starting to um, have risks attached to it. We're looking to see how we can add co- costs into it. We're adding AWS and infrastructure information, and all lots of different kinds of information is being fed into that around changes and and, and um, releases that are made as well, so that we can generate those metrics. And because it's in this um, this graph database, users there are other engineers can discover it and they're all there's a really big appetite and and nearly all almost all engineers use this bizops in one way or another and they're quite excited about it and it gives it gives us a, a playground where we can we can experiment with well what can we learn if we look at it this way or that way and 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 it, it's surfacing information and we're we're learning what's interesting people and um that's given us a really good starting point for doing that. So we can have lots of conversations with teams and with leaders and what do they want to know and what can they find out themselves versus what do we need to massage together and to, to try and generate. Well, that, that sounds like an awesome talk. I'm curious, you know, how does your org then sort of do planning on its own? How do you, what's the cadence for understanding, you know, what the biggest pain points are for these teams across the org and then incorporating that into planning. Yeah. So at at a high level, we've got our quarterly OKRs um, and that's where we see what other teams are are doing 
um, what their goals are for the coming quarter, what might be problematic for them. Um, we know if we, we had a bit of a, a spike in recruitment where we knew that was going to be happening this year. So we knew that helping new starters be able to get up and running as quickly as possible was going to be a big priority. So we put a lot of effort into the onboarding process, whether it was technical, um, you know, making the things easier technically or whether it was providing information for it. And so, the, the, yeah, the quarterly rhythm is is the basic one, but we're also just out talking to engineers all the time and other teams. And so there might be um, something increases. Security risks where everyone is all, all hands on deck on what do we need to do to, to try and um, deal with a particular threat, which um, may be present in any number of the things that we provide that all the engineers use. So something, sometimes things just happen that distract us. Um, but planning, um, we, 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 yeah, quarterly. You mentioned a big part of how you plan is just by having conversations with folks across the company to, to understand priorities. I'm curious, are there any other tools or methods you use to identify priorities? For example, surveys, or are you looking at certain mm-hmm. metrics across the organization to find teams that you've might want to inquire and look into. Yeah. Uh, so yes, we do surveys. We ask engineers what are the, what are their pain points in particular areas, and that determines where we focus our effort. There are also there are also metrics. We we um, there are sometimes they're cost related, which you know we for example we discovered that um, our monitoring tool the way it was being used was about to cost an enormous amount of money. <laughs> so setting that as a, as, as a target to, uh, to, to address, and that involved getting everybody else to slightly change the way that they used it. And, and that made a tremendous impact. Actually, we, we, we reduced that down a significant amount. So it, 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 sometimes there are external factors like cost or security. Um, sometimes it's things where we know we want to get to a point where teams are um, able to move more quickly because there's a particular barrier that's getting in the way. Um, and sometimes it's just information that we hear from teams where there's particular grumbles or a team has decided to solve a particular problem. And we've seen that and gone, well, we know that problem exists in other places. So let's take that and try and make that more centrally available by making it scale or, or work in a, in, a, in, in a slightly broader reaching way that's, that's more generally valuable. So a lot of it is listening. Um, a lot of it is we set our own targets because we want to be able to um, stop being the team that goes, you need to patch and enable them to see they need to patch. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, when I worked at GitHub, one of the things... I found was, you know, we had this goal to sort of accelerate software delivery at GitHub. And when I would go talk to teams, one of the things I found was that the things that they said were slowing them down most were actually not to tools, but more had to do with the processes and particular issues around product management. And so I'm curious at Financial Times, from your perspective, what are the things that actually bog down developers and teams the most? So... We find that, well, some of it's that the processes that they have within their teams, which we can't really influence, but some of a lot of it is the, the tooling, you know, is, is, is how do they set up a new cloud instance? So we're doing an awful lot there in terms of building, making components that they can plug and play with and documentation and training workshops to, to try and make that as easy as possible or configuring some of the um, edge um authentication some of that can feel a bit complex so we're again there's a 
how do we how do we standardize and simplify that as much as possible as well as providing making the team available and and um to uh, to support and and advise as and when teams need so that those are two of the bigger pain points that we've got and another one is um i guess we have um we have a, a design system team who who build uh, who enable our, our, our designers and 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 brand team to to have consistent brand representation against all of our products um, and so we have a team who helps them do that by baking in their their design and brand into into components and style sheets that everybody uses across all of the products so again it's anything that we can do that takes away some of the what might feel like repeated churn or toil that people have to do if we can take that away and 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 then that's that's a big driver so yeah when looking at tools in particular how much of that do you think is your team's responsibility as opposed to things that you know local teams can sort of learn and improve on their own I, just to give you an example you know one company i i recently was talking to they had a platform team and those responsible, you know, they, their charter was to own the, the local environment and, you know, deployment pipelines. And I know they ran a survey asking teams, you know, what would help improve your local environment the most? And the, they found, got a surprising response, which was most teams said, look, our team just needs to prioritize some things to, to, to address them. And it wasn't so much a putting that responsibility on the centralized team, but really the local teams weren't investing enough on their own. So I'm curious at Financial Times, how do you how do you, do you see a similar, you know, similar trends or is that are they are the problems really things that belong to your team? So a lot of our groups they have teams in those groups who focus on uh, developer experience. But they again they're they're small teams um and they get and they may be reinventing several times. Um and if they're reporting the same similar pain points, um, similar challenges, or just lack of knowledge of what the other one's doing. We These are things that we hear um, where we can take some of the pain away. I mean, ultimately, if what we, what we support and provide and recommend, if we don't make that easy to use, they can and will <laughs> just take their own route you know they they do have a full accountability for 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 what they run and and i think that that's appropriate if you're if you're supporting a thing and you're and everything if you're taking a bit you build it you run it then you need the autonomy and the freedom to to make those decisions and so this is why we are not taking approach where we're going to build a platform and you have to use this and you have no choice because that's not that's not the way we want to do things but so sometimes it does make sense for for teams to optimize locally but Ultimately, that's just been slowing them down because it's giving them too much choice and things. Uh, whoever set that thing up leaves the company and the thing is no longer supported. Or they've picked this nice, free, lightweight, open source thing that has suddenly become really expensive and enterprise or else it's, it's gone away and they have to find another one. And, and they have to go and, you know, find another part of the Internet that they're having to keep in their brain that really it would be nice if they didn't have to just so they can build their application. So it's... They have the autonomy, they have the freedom, but we we want to try and make the things that we offer and provide things that we're harvesting from them that are good that we can help keep running at a and, and improve on at the standard that's going to going to work for them so that they don't feel they have to go off and and, and go and find other solutions. But they are very free to do so, and they do sometimes do that. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, Victoria, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. 
My pleasure. Thank you.